Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 101. This is Movies 101. That's what I like to think More Than One Lesson is. Um, we do not have any announcements that I am aware of, although I will say a special thank you to uh, Nathan Potter for taking part in our Noah episode, and I want to say thanks to everybody who responded to it. Uh, and you know what? I don't do this very often, so I, I'll, I'll say it now. Um I'm I'm not super thrilled with the number of listeners we have for this show. Uh, for the amount of uh, effort that I put into it, I would like more people to know about it, uh, Christian or otherwise. And I feel like what with all the talk about Noah, I feel like that might be a good starting point for some people. So if uh, you are a listener um, and you would like to help the show out, um, obviously you can always donate. But if you are not in a position to do that, then um, – Perhaps, uh, you know, post the Noah episode on your Facebook page or something like that. Um, because we, like I said, I am fairly proud of the work that we do, and I would like more people to join in the conversation, um, whether they agree with us or not. So, uh, so yeah, just, uh, just throwing that out there. Uh, okay, I will welcome in my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Hi. How you doing? Doing all right. All right. Now, Josh is slightly under the weather, fighting it off. Fighting it off. All right. I got some Propel Zero grape here to help <laughs> fight it off, so I, I think everything's going to be all right. I haven't been sick since I started drinking it. Oh, really? I feel like that might not be true. Yeah, it's, that's probably a lie. Here's the thing. I have been sick with something that the medical community calls Propel disease. Oh, really? So, hmm. nothing else, though. Hmm. But it is horrible, I should <laughs> and say. And it's constant. Yes, yes. It is just a constant aching pain. Oh, okay. But the only, but you know what? The only medicine is more Propel Zero, zero Grape. <laughs> so. <laughs> the, the, the constant pain is only what you get if you don't drink it for like, you know, a couple hours, right? Uh, yeah, that's about yeah, right. That's what I thought. Okay, so. Um, so, okay. As long as I got that monkey on my back, I'm okay. Yeah, you know, like, it's not illegal. It's not in any danger of being declared illegal. So you can get it pretty readily. So, um, oh, but man, you think Propel Zero Grape is bad. Propel Zero Berry? Oh, that stuff is like, uh, let's say cocaine. I think it's, oh. in fact, I think there's cocaine it's in it. It's made from cocaine. So, um, berry cocaine, which is the most Ooh. potent kind. Mm. So, that was ridiculous. Josh, thanks for being here, as You're always. welcome. Um, all right. With no announcements that I can think of. Uh, I will jump right in. What are we, what are we talking about today? All right. We've decided to just, uh, court controversy. 
Uh, last yeah. week, we talked about Darren Aronofsky's Noah, which is not a film that is beloved in the Christian community. And we came out in favor of it. Yeah. This week, we are talking about God's Not Dead, a film that is quite accepted in the Christian community. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's universally beloved. I, um, I don't know if I'd say. I actually, I, I hear, I hear positives and negatives from from uh, people on both sides. Really, I, mean, I haven't done, you know, cold the internet to find out what kind of responses people are giving it. But now, with all due respect, Josh, you are not on Facebook. I'm not. So there, it it could be the sort of thing where uh, everyone has been posting stuff about it and how everyone needs to see it. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> Um, and I'm on like, Twitter though, but yeah, know. it's oddly enough. I, I feel like, I don't know, it's from the Christian standpoint, but also maybe just in general, I feel like Facebook tends to be a better, uh, I feel like you get a better idea of the general culture <laughs> through Facebook rather than Twitter. That's just based on my own experience though. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess you don't have Facebook. So I was going to ask you what you think, but, uh, but yeah, but like, that's the thing. I didn't run across a lot of negative opinions about Noah on Twitter, really no opinions at all, except for people talking about it as a movie mm-hmm. and God's not dead. Almost nothing hmm. on Facebook. However, lots of both. Hmm. Um, and so, so I don't know what the, what the situation is. And so what I, uh, so yeah, I, I don't claim to speak for the Christian c- community in general, either as a representative as a representative or somebody who is standing kind of on the outside and looking in. Uh, so I don't know how widely accepted the film has been, but I do know that there are a lot of Christians that really love it and cannot recommend it highly enough. Mm -hmm. So God's not dead directed by Harold Cronk, whose last name I enjoy. (laughs) Um, cause it's like Cronkite, but he's like, I, I, Who's got the time for two syllables? Yeah. I think he was on Christmas with the Cronks, wasn't he? That's the one. <sighs> you know, I never regretted having a co-host. Until, oh, sure you did. Until just now. Yeah, you Those did. were all for show. This is a this real This was the one. real one? This is the real uh, thing. I can't tell the difference. I, I didn't think I could either until <laughs> this came along and I thought, oh man, never mind. Um... But yeah, so directed by Harold Kronk, and uh, as always, I have forgotten to write a uh, plot synopsis. Josh, do you think you could crank one out really quick? Um, probably. I guess the most basic, uh, or the central element to the plot is that there's a student who is a Christian guy, comes to college, enters a philosophy class, and part of the philosophy class, they're supposed to write a statement that says that God's dead. Because all philosophy has already agreed that God's dead and they can bypass a lot of the trouble by just admitting that. And this one student, he can't do it. So his professor challenges him to prove that God's not dead in front of the, uh, in front of the class. Mm. And the students will decide whether or not he gets to uh, – whether or not, or not he makes enough of an argument. If he does, he gets to stay in college. And <laughs> I don't know if he's going to get booted out of college, but the, uh, well, the, the professor does make it clear that uh, he wants know. to ruin him academically. Yes. yes. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's a, the, the, the literal stakes are that he uh, 
he either gets to, you know, continue in the class or he fails the class. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and there are other ramifications. His, uh, girlfriend of several years hears about this and is very frustrated with the kid, uh, she saying thinks it's not worth the risk. Doesn't right. want him to mess with it. Says just, you know, just move on and, you know, it's not worth hurting yourself academically because right. it'll ruin your five year plan or whatever. Yes. And so she actually spoilers, eh, whatever she breaks, <laughs> she breaks up with him. I'm going to, I'm not going to say spoilers anymore. Not, I, not on this episode and quite possibly never again. I feel like I still have to, but that's not that big of a spoiler. No, not really. You, it you comes earlier it on in the movie and you yeah, know that you, someone's going to break up with someone else. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's the, the so much suspense when you it's like which one's it gonna be? Who's it gonna be? Um, so okay, so yes, that is the basic story. So I guess we'll jump in like we like we did with Courageous. Uh, people probably assume that I did not like God's Not Dead and that you did not like God's Not Dead, and I will go ahead and say you are correct. However, I have no intention of just railing at length against this film. I will point out the things I don't like and the things they could have done better. And I will talk about some of the themes and films, you know, a film that is, I think explored, not those themes specifically, but kind of has a similar type of format and a similar plot. Um, but we're going to start with as much positivity as is possible. Um, and we're going to talk about what did we like about God's Not Dead. Actually, you know what? I mean, I guess I already kind of gave the overview of, you know, if we liked it or not, the answer is no. Um, but do you have any general statements to say before we get specific about your general feelings about God's Not Dead? That can include expectation going in. Um, I think I didn't expect a lot out of it. Again, I don't know if I've said on here before, I, I often try not to see trailers. I don't actively try to, but I don't sometimes I actively try not to. Sometimes I just don't seek them out. Um, so I didn't know a lot of what this was going to be. Um, uh, but I knew that it was made by Christians. And so there's a certain expectation there that, um, when the production is predominantly Christian, that, that, that that's going to have an effect on it. Um, certainly in terms of the message and at times, uh, artistically as well. So that that was kind of my expectation going into it, but there's also, uh, I guess there's added on to it just what I feel, what I worry tends to happen with Christian movies, which is that, I guess the best way to say it is that it's as if you're making a movie for people who, who don't really like movies, but they like this thing. Mm-hmm which in this case is Christianity, which can happen for anything. Like uh, I think that happens a lot of times with issues movies. Like if you're a real, if you're a real strong proponent, proponent of uh, nationalized healthcare, then you might love the movie sicko. Even if you just don't know anything about movies or don't ever go to movies. Right. Um, that might, that could be, and I haven't seen it. So I, I'm just using it as a theoretical example, but uh, um, of a movie where it's, it can be something that is pitched more to the people who care about this issue than they do about actually seeing a good movie. Yeah. 
And I think that can happen with Christian audiences because Christian audiences a lot of times will go to, I mean, you have the filmmakers out there saying things like, we need people out there to support it so that there will be more Christian movies. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's an argument to be made there. Um, but I, I mean, I don't know how I feel about that in general, that we just need to go see all of them just so that we can teach Hollywood that people will go see Christian movies. Yeah, it's, you know, it winds up being a, a double-edged sword because, first off, being a Christian who enjoys film, quality film, uh, it's always exciting for me when a film tackles either overtly or just thematically something Christian and explores it. That's exciting to me. I would like to see more of that. Um, and so if going to, if paying to see God's not dead at the time of recording, it has made over $40 million, which yeah. for a movie like that is crazy. It's making close to what the Muppets is, has made. <laughs> it's, wow. it's very close. And like, and granted the Muppets is underperforming. It was expected right. to make a lot more than that, but God's not dead was expected to make a lot less. So, yeah. But between that doing well, and then of course Noah significantly overperforming at least its first weekend, um, people expected it to make about thirty million its first weekend, and I think it made about forty-five. Hmm. But um, I think it, I think now it is on track to lose money, is what they're saying. Yeah, it dropped off pretty significantly. I think partially because word of mouth. Yeah, so people, people were talking about like it was bad. Um, so I'm excited that, and that, and by the way. I'm excited for a number of reasons. One is that, uh, you know, it's hard coming up with episodes for more than one lesson. <laughs> but then when there's a new Left Behind starring Nicolas Cage, this thing writes itself. And by yeah. the way, we're going to watch that because I am so curious. Because <laughs> I saw a clip of it. Yeah. And he's doing great work in the middle of a Christian film. It's insane. It'll be interesting. We will We will talk about it. Uh, there's no rule we are going to see all of them, though. I don't know if we're going to see. Uh, there's no rule. There's no rule they're going to make all of them. That's true. Uh, no, I mean, sorry. Oh, I mean, all the Christian movies that come out. Yeah, yeah. No, like we may not see uh, Heaven Is for Real, but like you know, there's a movie called Exodus that's coming up sometime soon with Christian Bale as Moses, I believe. And that's, really, you know, that sounds interesting. So, so I'm intrigued and I'm a little encouraged. But here's the thing. When you tell people, like, we need to communicate to Hollywood that we want to see these movies, well, that can be good. That's good and bad because what you're communicating to Hollywood is, yes, you want to see movies that explore these themes, but you also don't care how good they are. You'll see them either way. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm a you and I are firm believers of the free market and what uh, and, you know, what that communicates if a, if a film does well then Hollywood is going to make more of that. Whether that is good or bad doesn't matter. People clearly didn't care, so they'll just make more of it. There's yeah. no reason for a Christian film that is bad but makes a lot of money. There's no reason for it to examine its style, examine its artistic quality. It made money, so clearly people love it. The end. And so you'll just get more of the same. That's the theory. Uh, and I think for the most part, it's a good theory, hmm. though, as I mentioned in our courageous episode with each major Christian film, which of course still doesn't mean much financially, but with each major Christian release, 
they get a little bit better and a little bit better. Not much. I cannot emphasize a little bit enough. They get a little bit better. And perhaps in 20 years, 25 years, they'll be genuinely great. Like some of the best movies you see all year. Maybe. Maybe. But anyway, I, uh, I kind of derailed this a little bit. Uh, continuing on with your general reaction. Um, yeah, so, so that was expectation. Then reaction was... Um, uh, I, I don't know. It's it, it wasn't a lot more than I expected or a lot less than I expected. Um, it was a higher production value than some you know low budget christian movies you might see mm-hmm. um it's a it's a little more ambitious um but i think we can talk more about the details as we get into it i guess as a right. whole i was i don't know nonplussed yeah uh general expectations and such for me is I think I had seen a trailer for it before it came out. I did not know what kind of money it was going to do. It looked like just another just another one of these. And uh, that probably was going to get rushed to DVD and do fine. Uh, but it did very well. And so I thought, okay, well, why is it doing well? Christian film tends to do well. Just as, just as you know, like uh, you mentioned with, with Sicko, you know, or uh, another one right now is like, um, not so much now as a, as a few years ago. Like, there are plenty of movies that were made about the, uh, like, the Bush administration and the Iraq war. And there are movies that were very anti those things. Yeah. Lions for Lambs. Lions for Lambs. Was Redacted f- that too? Redacted, yes. Um, rendition, rendition was another. Uh, and that's the thing. I, I'm not saying the movie's shouldn't do that. I'm not saying it's wrong for a movie to have a point of view. Huh. Even a, even a really clear overt one. I'm not yeah. saying a film has to try to balance all sides uh, at all. But any film I think that leads with its message is always can always be a little iffy and um I think it's easier to fail big when you're leading with the message. I think so because well, and, and what I'll say is that, like, if a film do, like that does well, like, for example, um, you mentioned Sicko. Sicko, as it turns out, is not that bad of a movie. Fahrenheit 9-11, however, I think is awful. Certainly as a documentary, it's awful. Yeah. But it came at the height, maybe not the height, of anti-George W. Bush stuff, but it was an election year. And, you know, I lived in Chicago at the time. I went to a, I was going to a film school. We'll talk more about that uh, later on uh, in this episode. Um and so there were a lot of people that really hated George W. Bush. I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of him myself at the time. And uh, and they loved Fahrenheit 9-11. They couldn't talk enough about it, how great it was. And what it, and ultimately, it's a film that told its audience, its intended audience, you're right. Mm-hmm. You are so right. I can't get o- – I'm making a whole movie about how right you are. And incidentally, God's Not Dead is that. More so even than Courageous – or fireproof. Yeah. This one is specifically about how Christians are right. Yeah. Now I do think Christians are right. Yeah. You know, as, as do I, but like a movie, uh, <laughs> we shouldn't need a movie to tell us. <laughs> right. And it's just <laughs> for one thing, but, 
I'm sorry. You, I have something to kind of reverse on that a little bit. But, but Well, and I don't think a movie necessarily has to challenge its audience. But there's there's a lot of space in between not challenging and straight out pandering. And I feel like that is what Christian film, and especially one like God's Not Dead, tends to do. Yeah. Is it panders. It's It knows its audience. And you can tell by virtue of who the guest stars are, who mm-hmm. the who the uh, uh, cameos are, yeah, and then just the very the just the nature of the story, you can tell that it it no like because when you pander, it doesn't need to be that good because there's a built-in audience that wants to be told they're right. We all want to be told we're right. Obviously, you, me, we like hearing it. Um, I'm sure a number a number of you listening to this are listening in. Hoping Josh and I are going to say you're right about God's not dead, and chances are you are. Um, <laughs> but there's more. To, there's more to it than that. I think there's always room for a challenge. Yeah. There's always room to challenge your viewers, even if you are ninety percent, even a hundred percent in agreement with them. You can mm-hmm. always throw out a challenge. Yeah, especially in the world of Christianity, where yes. We, we go to churches because we agree on this thing, but you can still hear a sermon that's like, oh, geez, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, never mind. That's part of the Christian experience, so it shouldn't, yeah. Yeah, but you said you wanted to, wanted well, to reverse something. Yeah, what I wanted to say on that was the uh, one of the criticisms of the film has been that it, uh, and this is a criticism I've seen primarily from atheists or non-Christians, is that the uh, the you're right attitude mm-hmm. is in regards to uh, Christian persecution. Right, yes. It has been criticized for um, creating a, a, a plot that they're calling like a chain letter, urban legend, um, boogeyman type plot of... Mm-hmm the atheist professor who is coming after his, his Christian student. Yeah. Now that kind of surprises me considering that the film itself, even this isn't prominent, but it puts in the end credits, a list, a long list of, uh, lawsuits that have been a result of Christians who were, you know, persecuted quote unquote in some way. Um, in, and I think they're all in, in academic, Yes, that is specifically it. Yeah. And so you know, let's not say persecuted, although there is some of that. Let's say singled out at yeah. the very least, singled or, out, or or like maybe failed a class because they disagreed with something. Yes. Uh, you know, if need be, I'm on, happy to give an example from a school I used to attend. Yeah. Well, maybe you should because because I think the the point that I'm trying to make now is th- that is not where we that aspect of it is not a problem that we're finding in the film. Not me, at least. Um, that it characterizes that it creates an imaginary situation that plays on an imaginary fear that Christians will be singled out or treated badly because of their beliefs in academic situations. Right. I, what I will say is, um, you know, there are a number of articles I've read that talk about like, well, let me, I apologize. I'm adopting a voice. Uh, (laughs) Let me explain to you what actual religious persecution looks like. Okay, and then they explain these other things like, oh, okay, fair enough. What about – and then I I think about things that have actually happened. Now, 
compared to other countries, Christianity, and I would finish to say any religion, is doing pretty well in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So compared to other countries – the uh, let's throw let's for the sake of argument let's throw quotes around persecution the persecution that is happening in the US is pretty tame absolutely so i'll i will i will i'll provide that that doesn't necessarily mean it's not happening right and doesn't mean that we should ignore it either because right. that guy who who has that voice that you were just doing that's the equivalent of if you tell someone oh my you know i i sprained my ankle they say well that's nothing other people have broken legs yes it's like yeah. that that doesn't diminish the fact that a sprained ankle right. is still a bad thing and the flip side as i there was a while ago uh, a few years ago when uh, i became really fascinated by uh, uh, academic uh, uh singling out of christian students and staff um, and what is fascinating is how many people acknowledge that this is a thing that is happening, but they also tend to pair it with, well, Christianity has been doing this to other religions for so long. It's about time that it, that they get theirs too. And it's right. like, what? <laughs> Which is a terrible, yeah, <laughs> this is kind of sociopathic. Like, so argument. it would appear that two wrongs do make a right, uh, according to some and mm. just, and it's vengeful. It's it's really not that di- it's not that different of an attitude. Then I'll bring it up again. Struck by lightning, <laughs> which basically says no, no, no. Bullying is wrong, but if, you if you're bully bullying the, the popular bullies. kids, if you're bullying the popular kids that made you feel bad, you know what? Not only is it not bad, it's kind of great. And so that's the that's the other way. And so that it is interesting um, the way people have. The, all kinds of blind eyes are being turned uh, when it comes to this film. Christians, I think, are turning a blind eye to just the general quality of the film. And then I think non-Christians, obviously I'm not speaking for everybody, but a number of non-Christians are turning a blind blind eye to the fact that this is a thing that does happen. Yeah. And, it, and I'm not saying it happens a lot in academia, but it happens more than one would assume. Yes. And the um, fact that that not only the fact that the film has a list of cases where this is happening, and in this room of two Christians, we have someone you have personal experience with. Well, not personal experience, but like I a have some personal personal experience. connection to yeah. an actual experience where something like this happened. And uh, should I say, should I tell those stories now or later? Um, we happen to be we're on this earlier than I expected, so. Um. I can save it for later. You know, th- this kind of goes into the conversation that we're having about things that we like in the movie, because which we, you were starting to lead yeah, yeah. into earlier. So I'm I'm fine with talking about it now because okay. I, I think that is something that I like about it. Well, I, though I will say overall, I do not like the film, but I think representing cases where this happens is a good idea, or at least yeah. a good uh, a good intention. Maybe my it, vote is documentary. Make a documentary about. Yeah, it. I think. I think, frankly, I think it's what they wanted. It feels like that's what they wanted to do anyway. Yeah, or even base it on one of those actual cases. Clearly, they know of them. Clearly, yeah. they exist. So, if if you need to tell a, a story um, about that type of situation, it might be stronger to use a real one because even though yeah. they list off those cases at the end of this, people are still saying about it. Uh, oh, it's bit you know, it's this this boogeyman 
fear thing. They're just preying on Christians and just, yeah. you know, make, telling them, yeah, you're right. Everybody's out to get you. Yeah. So, uh, first off, I will say that, uh, going to the college that I eventually graduated from, which was a film school. Um, I did happen to attend that school the, around the time, um, that the passion of the Christ came out. And so a number of fellow students and a number of instructors had some very specific things to say about that film and then extrapolated things about, pardon me, about Christian audiences and Christians in general. And they did so in a classroom setting. Uh, now when I, I didn't speak and say like, sir, I am a Christian. You know, I didn't do anything like that, but I was on a friendly enough basis with these professors that I could talk to them later and they were super cool about it. Like they were really nice, but that's the thing. It's just like, Hmm, I'm not feeling remarkably welcome at the moment. That's a small thing. Uh, there is a story about, so before I went to Columbia college, Chicago, I went to Southwest Missouri state university for one year. Um, it is currently called Missouri State University. They, they dropped the Southwest. It is still in the same place. Um, and, uh, and I had heard a, and okay, so I'll tell a quick story. Um, David and I, my co-host and I, uh, we both went to Southwest Missouri State. We happened to be in the same geology class with a, uh, professor who was a fun guy for the most part and hilarious. We off, he didn't mean to be, by the way, uh, <laughs> There, there's one particular instance where he was talking about how if you were to eat a certain thing, he goes, he's like, that would just be like eating razor blades, which is ridiculous. And it's like, thanks. Thanks for that second part <laughs> that it's ridiculous to eat razor blades. Uh, but he was and, – and he was a nice guy and I didn't do super great in the class. I did OK. Not great though. Um, so big lecture hall, probably 100, 200 people in there. Um, and uh, he – I'm going to say over the course of the semester, he probably brought up the ridiculousness, in fact, the, the stupidity of the young earth creationists. Now, obviously, he's in—he's a scientist. He's a—you know—he's into geology and that sort of thing. So, th I'm sure he has that opinion, um, and I'm even kind of okay with him expressing it to a certain extent. Admittedly, it didn't fit the syllabus at all. Then came the day when an entire class, this wasn't planned, an entire class was him just railing about the stupidity of young earth creationists and how they are bad for society and they should be ashamed. Uh, that was 50 straight minutes of that. I didn't feel particularly oppressed. I didn't feel persecuted. And I felt no particular desire to raise my hand and say something because I don't, I don't think I'm an, I'm a young earth creationist. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure I'm not. Uh, also, I was just excited. It's like, okay, there is no way we're getting homework at the end of this. And we did not. And I was excited. <laughs> um, so that was an instance like, okay, this is a thing that ab absolutely happens. Uh, at least the, there's definitely an anger there and a frustration on the part of some academia. And then later on, I actually read an article that uh, in the sociology department of Missouri State University, uh, a, a girl was – they had to do some kind of a project and the teacher assigned 
either the whole class or this girl and a few other students to attend a uh, a pro gay marriage rally in St. Louis. And she said, "Well, actually, I'm I'm against gay marriage. So can you assign me a different project?" Um, and he, I might be getting my cases mixed up because there are a few a few others, but he basically refused to give her a grade in the class and said that she, it's basically going to be incomplete. And I think when she talked to the department head, the department head said, not only are you getting an incomplete, but we are going to make you attend like a sensitivity training course. Um, so that's a thing that happened. And like, and then there was another instance, I think this is a different thing where a, a teacher um, refused to give a, a student a grade and said, like basically gave them an incomplete, which meant they wouldn't be able to get a grade for the class and basically said, why don't you ask your God to give you a grade? Mm-hmm. So that's that one. I don't remember the specifics except for that. And those are at your school, both of those. Uh, the, the one about the, the gay marriage rally in St. Louis, that one definitely is uh, Missouri state. The other one I do not remember. So I, perhaps okay. I shouldn't have brought it up, but anyway, yeah. um, so that is a thing that can happen, right? Those are real life experiences that you know from a connection to them. Yes. And I think it should be pointed out that in at least those second two cases, the student is not given a chance to present their case in front of the class. Yeah. The student is told you lose and that's the end of it. Yes. So this situation where the student is able to go up in front of the class and talk about his views is actually more lenient (laughs) than the actual reality of what has happened in just the cases that you know from the personal connection. And at the end of the credits, they do have just one case after another. And you know what? Maybe some of them are more extreme than the others. Yeah. These are lawsuits, which means something could be based on perceived yeah. uh, anti-Christian bias. Right. Absolutely. Who knows? Frankly, I'm sure there's a list somewhere of everything listed in the credits, and I would be, I'd be interested to look them up. Yeah. But even if it only had happened once, I mean, if you were to make a story about this, something very similar to this actually happening once – I, I don't I don't think that's a bad idea for a movie. I don't think that's a bad idea for a story. Sure. And I, I think that might be the sort of thing that it could be good for both Christians and non-Christians to know about in it, because it's actually – because it's something that's actually happened. Absolutely. This movie doesn't present itself as something that has actually happened even though it puts that stuff in the end there. I yeah. think it's I think it's too little too late because I think people – I'm sure – Probably critics just walked out and didn't even see that. I personally was trying to like check the details of those and then they're going f- by far too fast yeah. in the credits for you to actually see. Yeah. I mean, clearly you're not meant to read every one. Right. More than anything, I think it's meant to be like, yeah, there's a bunch of these. Right. There's a lot of these cases. It's not, it's not made up and it's not isolated incidences. Right. So, so yeah, I agree with you. I, I'm, I, I think it's wrong for, you know, non Christians or admittedly, uh, I've gotten, comments from other Christians who are quick to say, hey, we shouldn't play the martyr, which I agree with, incidentally. But when it's actually happening, there's nothing wrong with calling attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, so I'd say good for the film for getting specific. Now, of course, how it dealt with any of that, I think, was not right, but that's neither here nor there. So we're getting into the things that we did like and that we, we did respond to. So you mentioned that it's more ambitious. Mm-hmm. Uh, already we're talking about how it is a bit more ambitious and that like it's looking it's looking at the world around us and saying what – you know we want to do something in response to that. That's yeah. not remarkably ambitious. But, um, but I don't know. It's 
it's a re- it's a response to a real thing. Yeah, which and is it, something that I've been excited about ever since Fireproof, though the movie is terrible. Mm-hmm. It's response as opposed to like the apocalypse movies that were around for a long time. Uh, these are a response to things that actually happen in our world. Yeah, which I like. Yeah, and I think there's an there's an ambitious. I think there's an ambition in trying to tackle apologetics because that's a big, yeah, that's a big complicated thing, yeah. and so that's that's not an easy mountain to climb. And so I, I I can applaud the ambition, even though I think the delivery was sorely lacking, which yeah. we'll talk about later. Uh, so okay, a few of the other things that I liked, honestly, it's not going to be a super long list. Uh, one of the things that I liked was the structure. Again, don't think it was pulled off. Maybe this fits into the ambition thing, but this this fits into artistic ambition. Um, so we mentioned the primary story. There are a number of secondary stories. Yeah, to the point that if you were to take that primary story and uh, uh, condense the movie down so that it's just those scenes, which you could do, you'd have a 20-minute movie, 15 minutes. Maybe 25. Maybe. If and, I'm feeling generous. And it could stand alone. The other stuff is not... The other stuff might augment it or might add a little bit to the to the plot. You can argue that. But uh, I, I think it's not... I think the other stuff is not necessary to that main plot. Right. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, but I... Basically, the film is much more ensemble-based than you would assume. And I... As I mentioned, my favorite movie of all time is Nashville. I'm also a big fan of Shortcuts and Gosford Park. Yes, I just mentioned three Robert Altman films. I also like Magnolia and Boogie Nights. And just I like movies like that that covers a lot of characters who are kind of related to each other, sometimes in a closer way, sometimes a little further away. Um, And just using kind of this this rich tapestry of character – to explore a theme. And in this case, it was that it was the way God was involved in people's lives. Uh, and that everybody kind of had a different story. So I like that on principle. I think it didn't necessarily handle it very well, but I like that level of ambition. Um, artistically in the past, I mean, movies that we've talked about, like it locks into its main characters and maybe for, maybe because they can't afford a lot of other speaking parts, they, they, they keep it to that. And it's, and it's all very small and very specific specific specificity doesn't bother me, but a choice as opposed to, uh, no other recourse is a big difference. And so I like that they're going a little bit bigger in their scope. Um, regardless of how they how it came off which I don't think it did um, but the biggest thing for me the biggest thing that I that I liked was um, oh I will say that the technical quality is a little bit better um, these look more like real movies they mm-hmm. seem to be shot with better cameras with actual DPS who have a general sense of uh, Visual, st- visual storytelling, framing, and yeah. then you know, I mean, we talked about courageous and how the director just seemed to have no concept of what to do with staging, and this I got no sense of that. Yeah. I, it okay. I was talking with a friend of the show, Jason Eakin, the other day about this, and then ultimately we are praising this film for 
achieving what every other movie does, yeah. except the absolute worst. Yeah. So we're we're praising it for being adequate, but at the very least, adequate doesn't call my attention to <laughs> how bad it is. So I'll take it. Uh, the thing that I am most encouraged by is the level of acting. Historically, Christian films, they tend to hire non-actors or, you know... People who go to the church. People who go to the church. For their and, film. Yeah. And they're like, hey, this guy's kind of funny. You know, I know him. He's <laughs> kind of funny. Let's have him play the, you know, the comic relief, which that's always easy to do, right? Um, and so, uh, whereas this one... Everybody seems to be a professional that has acting experience uh, with the with one exception. The girl who plays the main character's girlfriend wasn't great. And partially it's be, I think partially it's because that's a hard character to play, which is kind of, for lack of a better term, the nagging wife slash girlfriend who doesn't believe in her man. Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing to pull off if you don't play it right. Sorry, if, if it's not ri- if it's not written well. Yeah. Um, so. Some of that's on her. Some of it's on the script, I think. Uh, but everybody else, like when somebody is selling an emotion, I'm buying it. I believe that they are feeling these things. I think the script is not very good, but the actors, for the most part, are able to transcend that and still get the emotion of the character across. Uh, I will single out. Uh, I will single out Kevin Sorbo. I watched maybe one and a half episodes of Hercules in the 90s when I was young, uh, and I remember thinking it was kind of funny, and I liked him. He has a lot of natural charisma. Um, and in this, he plays a character who is just – who is a bad guy. He's he's the villain, and they make – and just in case you didn't know he's the villain in class, they also show just how disrespectful he is to his own girlfriend, yeah. and just – it just doesn't stop. It'd be very easy to play this guy as like the mustache twirler. There is one scene where he gives a slow clap that you and I <laughs> laughed out loud yeah. at in the theater. And I think I said, well, well, Mr. Bond. Yes. Um, so that's a little silly. But uh, the thing that I com- came away with, and this is a thing that I, that I like to say, and I don't say it very often. Um, Kevin Sorbo is a pro. He's a gen- like He's acted on TV. He's probably act. I think he's acted in film, uh, and he's probably had to sell some bad lines in his day. And he knows how to do it. And he knows that you need to commit. And so, and he knows. All right, this character is a. I'm saying he probably, from what it sounds like, he's on board with the film philosophically and all that, and that's fine. But, uh, but I think he understands. Like, oh, if I play the way, if I play this character the way he is written then this is going to be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so for the most part, he undercuts it. And there is one scene that I think is actually written fairly well in which the character who is an atheist, uh, explains some of how he came to his lack of faith. And that scene is actually written fairly well and he plays it very well. Um, I, it works. It worked for me in that moment. Did I think it was, uh, really cheap to write it that way? Sure. But that is not the actor's fault. And more than anything, I came away from this movie thinking, Kevin Sorbo needs to get some legit work. Not to imply this isn't legit, except it's not. Um, like, he could he could do well. Like, he could carry a TV show if they gave him the chance, again. And I think he could be a very solid supporting actor in film, and he deserves to. Mm-hmm. He's a genuinely good actor, and 
more than anything, that is what I came away with in this film. Mm-hmm. That is what I liked about God's Not Dead. Josh, what do you got? Anything Anything beyond that? Um, I think I, for the most part, liked the acting. Although I, I don't know that any of it stood out to me, really. Um, I feel like there was one scene that I actually liked as a scene. <laughs> okay. Which was, uh, do you remember the one when Dean Cain is talking with his... His mother? Uh, his mother. Yes. Yeah. That is I a pretty that good scene. scene. Um, so there was kind of a... Spoilers. <laughs> he has a he has a mother who's uh, senile, basically. Yeah. And he... It, it's a little stereotypical that he goes and is talking to her about how he doesn't really believe in God or something like that. Yeah. But uh, the way she responds and almost seems to respond kind of counter to how delusional she's been in general mm-hmm. is what well, was i thought an interesting touch yeah um and i kind of like i like the way she played it too yeah um so i like that scene <laughs> I didn't, yeah i didn't really like most of the others and oddly enough i'm not even a huge fan of that scene yeah just because like it is very it's very on the nose but yeah. i guess such is the uh, nature yeah. nature of the beast here yeah hang on not the biblical beast when in rome not the uh Triple Six Beast. That's that's a different, that's a different film, <laughs> not that um, beast. But uh, but yeah, and I thought and I thought Dean Dean Cain played that scene pretty well too. I yeah. mean, he's that character is a, is really a mustache. That is a, yeah. Um, and he that's a silly character. Yeah, I think it's kinda, funny that he kind of leans into that. But in that scene, he's doing some some good work. I'm I'm trying to decide during the movie whether the filmmakers purposefully chose both of their villains to be Superman and Hercules. <laughs> But uh, who knows? Yeah, that's true. And I, I think they probably picked them because those are probably the hardest characters to play. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, I, th- I think that's probably it. But anyway, um, so okay, that's what we liked, hmm. and that's more than I've liked from Christian film in the past. You go back to episode three with Nathan Potter, in which we talk about fireproof. No, not episode three. Sorry. It's like 13 or something, uh, in which we talk about fireproof. Uh, th- there is not much to like. In fact, there's pretty much nothing to like in that movie. I like uh, its approach to marriage. There are plenty of books that'll do the job. You do not need to wade through a terrible movie to get there. Yeah. This one, I did not necessarily enjoy the experience. I could have spent my money on something else, something better. Mm. Thankfully, I had purchased some popcorn that was delicious. <laughs> um, but it was not... It was kind of a chore, but it didn't feel... Like, there are movies that I've watched for BP, Christian or otherwise. I don't watch any Christian films for BP, but, like, um, there are films that I've watched that are hard to get through. Yeah. For whatever reason. It's just like, this is atrocious. I watched at least one that comes to mind that I watched for BP. That uh, Which one was that? Was it Upside Down? Um, no, Upside Down was pretty bad, but it was this was like an indie one that I okay. guess they sent you. It was called like Things I Don't Understand or something like that. Okay. That one was, was pretty terrible. Yeah. Yeah, every once in a while, it's just like, wow, it, okay, Christians have not cornered the market on oh, no. terrible movies. No, not at all. So, um, 
So yeah, this was not a chore like that. In fact, my expectations were admittedly pretty low, but I guess I would say I was pleasantly surprised to not hate it. Hmm. Now, I would venture to say that is damning with faint praise. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm trying to think. It certainly is not a movie I would recommend. And if a Christian were going to go see it, I'm trying to think. You know, this this is a thing that we've been talking about in our uh, Best of Pictures mini-sode series in which we say, you know, is it something we – if somebody was already going to see it, is it something I would warn them away from? Um, Probably. I'd probably say, like, it's really not that great. Yeah, I might. And if if you want to give your money to it so that uh, more – so that Hollywood will make more Christian films, you know what? You can buy a ticket and go right home. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and pop in another movie and watch something else. Although that – and that goes to the other things. Just like I, I, I don't know if I want – if I would want Christians giving their money to this. Yeah, that, there's another argument to be had there. But if that is what, if that's the only reason you're going to see it, yeah, uh, you don't. You don't I got have good news to. for you. But uh, but you, you can only if you want. You have the option of only spending your money. You don't also have to spend your time. And I would venture to say patience. Yeah. Um, but Tyler, why? Why is it this bad? Uh, okay. <laughs> I am immediately overwhelmed. I. I I think I've narrowed it down, which is, is a, a misleading term, uh, to two things. Okay, let's let's um, go with that. Two main things. I think uh, the first one is more general and is more about the craft. Okay, and I think the reason I say narrowing it down is misleading is because I think this is a major overarching overarching which is it i always say i think i switch every time i say it overarching overarching, overarching. i think i say it's I over I say arching okay whatever um but uh it, that i think it, it's something that kind of pervades almost every aspect of the movie um which is that i feel like it it isn't trying it, it's taking the easy road mm-hmm. maybe is the, is the most general way to say that so what that leads to are, for instance, very one-dimensional or very stereotypical characters. Yes. You've got your rich businessman who's too busy for God. Yeah. You've got your angry atheist professor who's angry because he had – I don't even remember what the tragedy was that happened. His mother and died. His mother died of his cancer. Mother died of cancer. Um, you've got the uh, – I, I can't decide whether the Muslim character and her father is – offensively stereotypical or not i had the same thought there is one of the subplots is this uh muslim girl who is secretly christian Mm -hmm. uh much to the chagrin let's just put it that way of her father uh my first thought was like whoa really we're doing this but here's the thing to the film's credit the father is just is not a complete monster. He he genuinely loves his daughter and cares for her, even when he discovers she's a Christian and he gets physical with her and throws her out of the house. The film allows him a moment, yeah, of sadness Which, at what he has done. I'm glad. I'm glad it does do at least that. Yes, but did it need to be included at all? I'd venture to say no. Yeah, I I don't, I don't really know about that. And I mean, maybe the filmmakers would argue that this is like you know like the. Uh, 
atheist professor who is singling out his student. This is a thing that does happen in America and in the real world. This is an experience of Christianity that someone is having. I suppose. So, I mean, maybe that's the argument that you're making, but I, I don't know. It's, it's at, at very least, it is a very stereotypical characterization. It's something we've seen a million times. Yes. Um, and I don't think it does a lot. I don't think it adds a lot to the movie. Like I say, I think all these plots don't necessarily build together. I think they're kind of vignettes that don't, don't, don't stack enough together to make something. But, uh, but so yeah, those are just some of the stereotypical characters. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of the, in addition to the stereotypical characters, we're giving very, uh, like, um, What's, what's the term I'm thinking of? Types of conflicts that uh, are like ready to go. Prepackaged? Prepackaged is the word yeah. I was looking for. Yeah, prepackaged uh, conflicts that you know before, you've seen it before. It, it didn't take any thought to think about. Like yeah. the angry atheist blogger who finds out that she has cancer yeah. and suddenly wants to turn to a higher power, much to her surprise. Yeah. Um, the, I mean... Spoilers, the deathbed conversion of, I'll just say one character, so it's not a total spoiler. Sure. You're going to guess which one. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the thing with the, even the, like the nagging wife character that you said, that mm-hmm. she leaves the, the boyfriend because she doesn't think it's worth it or she doesn't understand his, yeah, his uh, the his drive to to fulfill this end, um, and you know what? Maybe these are all characters that would have been very, uh, very real and very, uh, very bold in like 1955. Sure, and I I don't say that as a joke. I I say that really to say that the we look back at movies like that now, like say uh, rebel without a cause or bigger than life. Nicholas Ray films are, mm-hmm. are often like that. They're films that dealt with these issues that now we've dealt with so much that they don't have the same strength that they did then. Yes. That's like true. the type of addiction that is, that is uh, outlined in bigger than life is looked at na- nowadays, very weak, but at yeah. the time probably was much more effective. Yes. The move, the, the, conflicts and types of themes and stereotypes that are happening in this movie in this day and age are far behind the times. Well, and they're just, I think my big, my big problem, obviously I have several, but my big problem is with plotting. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to hit the T so I didn't think, so I didn't, (laughs) you know, so nobody thought I was saying plotting with a D. Um, although I guess, (laughs) which is a different criticism, Um, but, uh, Like everything, like you said, all the conflicts are prepackaged. They're like something out of a Jack Chick track tract. If you know what that is, I don't. Jack Chick was a uh, an illustrator in like the again, I believe the fifties and sixties, who wrote these, who drew these little uh, tracts that were like probably ten pages long, and it involved they were like little comic strips in which uh, somebody learns like a, a, a lesson uh, and it's usually like really not merely moral. It's, it's moralistic in its attitude <laughs> and it's, and it's big into, and it was big into like scaring people, but you know, they're 10 pages long. And the, by the way, it was like this big, it was like one inch by two inches. So like 
they had to get the point across quickly <laughs> and efficiently. It was like a Christian Bazooka Joe. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Except terrifying. <laughs> um, and so, uh, incidentally, I don't know if this is readily available online, but there's one that I remember reading when I was a kid called Somebody Goofed. And it's about this kid who's been uh, tricked into tricked by the devil into like rejecting God and going to hell. And so he's like, somebody goofed and all that kind of thing. Um, and uh, I remember reading that when I was a kid. And then uh, Rodney Asher, the director of Room 237 and a two-time appearance, uh, a two-time on Battleship Pretension, he directed a, uh, a film that basically like animated that comic strip. Um, but not, not like straight up animation. It's more like he, this happens, it kind of turned into sort of a motion comic and it's fascinating. It's really, Hmm. it's really great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the stories are, as you say, they're prepackaged, they're simplistic, simplistic to the point of, well, okay. Is this a story I should tell? Sure. Okay. I won't give any names. That makes it easier. Uh, there was a situation uh, in which uh, some Christian acquaintances and I were talking about somebody else who was not a Christian. And this person was going through some rough times, a divorce, in fact. And, uh, and one, of the, one of my uh, acquaintances said, well, he just needs Jesus. And it's like – and I remember th- – Jen was with me at the time. And afterwards, we thought – Yes, yes, this person does. I agree. I can't argue with that. But now what? Because this person knows about Jesus and has rejected him. And so now what can we do to minister to this person at a rough time? Certainly we can pray for him. We can listen to him. We can preach at him. Because he does indeed need Jesus. But there might also be some more like nuanced things that we can talk to him about as well. And this is a film in which every story, somebody is just saying, well, they just need Jesus. And it's like, I, I can't argue with that. I agree with you. But that doesn't, admittedly, that doesn't make for the most dynamic story. It doesn't make for the most dynamic uh, arc. Um, it's like, oh, the atheist blogger has cancer. Well, she just needs Jesus. Oh, this, you know, this guy, uh, this professor. Oh, he lost his his mom when he was a kid to cancer, and now and now he's very upset. Well, he just needs Jesus. It was just, it's the constant refrain. Mm-hmm. And again, I agree. But at the same time, it makes everything very simplistic, and it does make these characters pretty paper thin, and it kind of implies that the f- makers of the film aren't really that interested in people's problems in real life. You know, let's we'll go back. We'll go back to Jesus. Why not? Admittedly, he acknowledged that. Uh, well, you just need me. He never said it quite like that, but. Anybody who had a problem like leprosy or, oh, I can't walk or any number of things, he listened to what they needed, what their problems specifically were, and he would 
heal that and then also say, incidentally, go and, you know, go and sin no more. Go and tell people about what has happened to you and, and that sort of thing. This is a film that just says, nope, you don't need to worry about any of that. You just need Jesus and we're good. And while I do think that that is the basis for everything, I feel like the film could do better. And what's interesting is that by adopting that attitude, the film actually tends not to have a great deal of follow through with its stories. Mm -hmm. For example, um, or sorry, either there's no follow through or there's so much follow through. There's so much resolution because, okay, uh, I guess we'll, we'll spoil this. Um, yeah, I'm going to spoil the whole thing. Um, because, uh, I'm going, okay. Skip to, let's say five minutes ahead. If you do not want this film spoiled for you. All right. Yeah. Skip to five minutes ahead. (laughs) Although this probably won't take that long. (laughs) Well, yeah. Watch the time. So the main story has this kid debating his professor about whether or not God is dead. All right. Here's how that story winds up. One of the kids in the class, a Chinese foreign exchange student, uh, talks to our main character and decides he wants to be a Christian. That's one. Two, our hero is perceived as winning the debate, and every student in class declares that God's not dead. Every single one. They'll stand up and, in in true, oh, Captain, my Captain form, Indeed. Um, say... God's not dead. Another film I don't particularly care for. (laughs) And three, the professor himself confesses. uh, Sorry, uh, uh, converts. Yeah. After being hit by a car. After being hit by a car. So he converts right before death. That is... I I didn't even think that was actually going to happen because that seemed too heavy-handed. Yeah. Even, Even having seen you know, an hour and a half of the film already. I was like, well, that he's not going to convert. Like maybe he'll realize something, but he's not going to convert. That would be too heavy handed. Right. Sure enough that that's what happened. Yeah. It all, it all happened. It went as well as it could. Like, I guess the, I guess the school could have turned Christian. Yeah. But I, I, you don't know how badly I want to see a mainstream Christian film that doesn't have a conversion happen in it. You can do it. Like courageous. Did it can happen. You, are you sure? Yes. Here's the thing. It had Sorry. To, there was no on-screen conversion. Th- that's true. But but it was like... it was a big deal for us. <laughs> it was good, but it was still like that conversation. It was the... Well, what would help everything is if you just converted to Christianity and if yeah. you had Jesus. Like, you don't... Yeah. It doesn't have to... And you know what? Anyway. Here's the thing. Here's what... Okay. Here's what I would have liked. Because one of the things that I feel like is a problem with this... I've talked to a number of people about Christianity, and uh, I hate to sound crass, uh, I don't have any conversions under my belt that I am aware of. Mm. Um, I've never even gotten uh, an email from somebody saying, hey, years ago you told me about this and I've since converted. It's never happened. Sometimes I get a little discouraged, but I also recognize maybe that's not my role to play. Not to imply I don't talk about my faith. But maybe that's just not who I am. Maybe I have a different uh, a different role. And I do think that we we all should stand up for our faith when the time comes. And I'll talk more about that a little later. Um, 
but this film literally everything goes right now admittedly it's unfortunate that this character gets hit by a car and dies and the guy loses his girlfriend he does lose his girlfriend but you know what that's viewed as a good like she's just harpy and he does gain a foreign exchange student friend instead exactly and incidentally like (laughs) as there's a there's a line in uh mystery science theater 3000 that occasionally i will (laughs) think of and uh and basically, at at some moment, I wanted him to call his girlfriend Jezebel because it had that quality to it. Um, and so, uh, but that's the thing. So he has he has rid himself of this unsupportive, angry, nagging girlfriend, and in the process, he's become a hero to Christians around the country. Uh, his yeah, apparently entire... everyone seems to know about it somehow. Yes. That's just a weird plot hole thing. And that's the thing. When you stand up for your faith, it might not work out that well. No. It might not, I would venture to say, work out at all. Yeah. I'll be quoting Jeremiah a little later. He was called to stand up for his faith. Nobody converted. People didn't like him. People did not listen to him. <laughs> he was persecuted. For what? Object, you know, strictly speaking, nothing except to be obedient. And that was it. What I, what I think is probably, you know what? I'll meet them in the middle. How about the professor doesn't die. I think we're out of the the five minutes, (laughs) but he also doesn't convert. Let's say the students are not convinced, but that exchange student is. Yeah, that's one person, and and like this kid gets flunked out of class, and is kind of a laughing stock amongst at least the kids in the class. But that foreign, but that foreign exchange student said, "You know what? I'm in the midst of all that. You still stood for it, and I feel like there's got to be something there." Yeah, you you've you've got my attention. Oddly enough, I'm willing to even be okay with a conversion scene if they do that. Yeah, and that is is a dip, more difficult conflict than these ones that we've talking about that than, than the kinds of conflicts that are actually in the film yeah. that is that is a more nuanced a more layered thing that's that's a more difficult conflict to deal with than yeah. than the one that the film presents and the way that it resolves itself yeah the film really does it does sugarcoat things and i feel like it gives us a certain degree of hope it basically any character that is hostile to Christianity in the film, apparently they've never heard anything about it because the moment they are faced with it, they're like, oh, well, you know, the angry blogger girl, yeah, does she, she's going to ambush Willie and Corey Robertson of Duck Dynasty. She's going to ambush these people and really stick it to them. And then they say, I would venture to say the most basic elements <laughs> Blase, of Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> like completely nonspecific, nothing that anybody who's lived in this world for any, str- any length of time yeah. would not have heard. She would have to be a terrible, terrible blogger to not have already encountered that argument. If not a completely unobservant person. Yeah. And then they, they respond with this and then she just kind of sits there and stands there is like, well, okay. And it's not like she converts in the moment, no. but, um, but she's left speechless. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, you talk to any atheist, specifically one who is who's like 
angry at Christianity. You tell him the stuff that Willie and Corey Robertson says said to her. They will come back with points. I, I, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to um, paint them with a negative brush. By saying, oh, they're just going to be argumentative. I no. mean, they will come back with genuine points about what they believe, right? Because they have reasoned arguments for the things that they right. believe. Like we shouldn't treat atheists the way that we don't want to be treated by atheists, is to be, which is to be treated as sheep that have never really thought about why we believe the things that we believe and are just kind of following just floating along through life, not understanding anything. Right. Like we don't want to be characterized that way by way by atheists. And there are some who have characterized Christians that way. Sure. But in the same way, we certainly shouldn't characterize atheists that way as people who just like, don't, you know, were taught a, by some evil professor that God is dead and have just gone on believing that and have never had any reason to think about it, right. especially people. And, and granted those people probably exist because in general, probably everyone exists. Sure. Um, so the, those Superman? people. <laughs> yes. All right. He was in the movie. Um, but uh, so, this, but even if those people do exist, it's very unlikely that they exist in the uh, in the media or in some kind of intelligentsia. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. That's very unlikely that there is a a militant. Uh, blogger or a respected professor who has not encountered uh, difficult challenges to atheism before. Yeah. And so, and I will say this real quick Uh, in the spirit of like the film simplifying things. One thing that I will say um, is that in the film, to my knowledge, everybody who is an atheist, they are that because they had a bad experience that caused them to rebel against God. To the point where when the when the professor he, – he gets – in front of the class, he's kind of grilled by uh, the main character. And then he eventually admits that he hates God, at which point the main character says uh, – he doesn't say it in this voice, but unfortunately, it's the only thing I can think of. It's, how can you hate somebody who doesn't exist? Yeah, and both <laughs> of us just tilted our heads because that's just how – it has that quality. It's like – you wanted him to say check and mate. Okay. That's a very basic, simple argument and one that certainly has been made before specifically, you know, like Christopher Hitchens, as opposed to like a Richard Dawkins, he makes two arguments. One is that God couldn't exist, but that he's also a jerk Um, other, you know, that he's a monster essentially. And so it's, so it's essentially, it's like, there is no God, but if he is, He's terrible. And it's like, okay, so if you are – if somebody's making that argument, certainly I don't think you can just come out and say, ah, so there is no God and you hate him. Interesting. You know, um, you're not going to get him with one line, but at least he has acknowledged the idea – there's a two-pronged thing there and it's fine to acknowledge both of them. But But the idea of people being atheists – Solely because something went wrong in their lives and they're angry at God. Sure, that might be the case in some cases. I was on a show, on a podcast years ago called Irreligiosophy. It's an atheist show, and we talked about, among other things, the way atheists are depicted in film, and certainly Christian film, and they said, you know, the two of us, we became atheists because we were raised, in their case, in the Mormon church, and then... We started reading certain books that got us to question these things, and then eventually we were convinced. 
That was it. And that's, that's just how, that's how it goes. And like you said, we don't want atheists approaching us as like, well, you were just raised in the church. You've never thought about it. You just kind of, you went with your gut, you went with your feelings and that's the end of it. That might be the case with some. In fact, I know it is. But we don't want them to treat us as though we've never read any kind of apologetics, that we've never um, really thought about the moral and intellectual ramifications of of Christianity. And in the same way, we should not – we don't want to be summed up and simplified in the least flattering way possible. And in the same way, we shouldn't do the same thing to them. Like. Yeah. One thing that I I highly recommend is if some, if you find somebody who disagrees with you politically, spiritually, artistically, whatever, listen. Just listen to them. You might not actually know what they think. Oh, yes. And um, so – And and I think this kind of leads into what was my next okay. major problem with it was the approach to the apologetics. And a part of that is um, – they, they do the, – the professor isn't a total straw man. I think he could be um, and doesn't totally go there. Right. But um, there are two parts of what I didn't like about the approach to apologetics. One, um, uh, I'll, I'll say one because this is kind of an easy one. There's not a lot of it in there. Considering that this is sort of the main thrust of the movie, yeah. like I said before, you could probably pare that story down to 20 minutes and probably 10 minutes of that is him actually presenting anything in this class. Yeah. There are, I think, three scenes where three, yes. he's presenting and they're not real long scenes. Yeah. And the last one is actually more of a back and forth than a presentation. Right. So he really only makes two to three points um, in terms of actual apologetic arguments. Yeah, and some of it f- falls on, uh, into the uh, what is called the cosmological argument, mm-hmm. which incidentally um, I know a little bit about, but it's a bit beyond my pay grade. And so to think that you can sum it up in the three minutes and have the audience follow along right. it is astounding. Yeah, me. like um, – I guess for anyone Christian or non-Christian who doesn't know, there's arguments of like the the fine-tuning mm-hmm. uh, argument is a whole huge thing. Uh, the idea of irreducible complexity is a whole huge thing, and those are both arguments that have been made and and I I think solid arguments, but not something that you can kind of touch on lightly and then move on as if yeah that's enough. Yeah, no, but no. <laughs> Nobody and who specializes you, in those arguments is going to be after three minutes be like, okay, you get it. Yeah, and if you're at all interested on in apologetics on either side of the issue, I would definitely look into those. Those are interesting, uh, interesting topics. But uh, all that to say, it it doesn't really deal too much with, the, and I don't think it deals enough with the right. apologetic stuff, especially considering that this is supposed to be a main thrust of the film. Yeah, and that. You know, for a while, the companion film to this was. Uh, uh, Oh shoot! Was the name Davis Guggenheim, who directed? Ah shoot! Oh well, uh, it was going to be uh, an inconvenient truth. The reason for that, wh- whatever you might believe about global warming, the reason for that is that it's it's Al Gore given a presentation. It's a slideshow. I saw the film and it was surprisingly compelling. Regardless of what I believe 
um, and I don't totally believe it. I don't totally disbelieve it, incidentally. But like, um, but it's compelling filmmaking, and it's in depth. It's not afraid to be what it actually is, rather than impose some kind of narrative on it. You know, there are moments where it shows kind of Al Gore, like in his personal life and just talking about, you know, who he is a little bit and why he cares about this issue. But for the most part, it's this presentation and good for them for being willing to do something that many people would say, wow, a slideshow and Al Gore, that's the definition of exciting. (laughs) You know, like they don't do that and they, they commit to it. So for a while, that was going to be the companion film for this because like, if you're going to do this, make a documentary and actually do this, have two hours of apologetics that covers any number of issues and do it with style, do it with uh, passion and just have it be that. Yeah. That was, that was one, one, one idea, but the way they do it, it's just, they're trying to do too many things. Yeah. You know, and while I do like, you know, from a narrative standpoint, I tend to respond to multiple characters that, you know, are loosely related, but this film did have a, certainly a central conceit and it basically brings you in saying you are going to see apologetics you are going to see a christian argue with an atheist you are going to see this atheist be someone in a, in a position of power uh you are going to see some pretty heavy stuff and i feel like it was the it, first it, thing that was glossed over yeah i don't think it delivers on that which the other side of of you know i said there were kind of two sides to what i didn't like about it the one was that they didn't deal with it a lot and the, the other was that it's not very well dealt with they're not right real he doesn't go into that many deep arguments he he touches on and i wish i could remember the exact specifics but he touches on on some arguments that i've heard atheists easily address out of hand right and so it's kind of surprising that this uh you know furiously atheist professor doesn't even touch on those things yeah um, that i've heard in my personal life and what fa- one of the other things that fascinates me is that in a philosophy class they're talking primarily about the cosmological argument and not a philosophical argument. That's the first thing that surprised me. Like, why not make this character a biology professor or a geology or something like that? Something mm-hmm. that might fit with the actual argument that happens. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's I was, a small thing. I mean, I'm kind of interested in philosophy. I was kind of hoping there'd be a little bit of a philosophical argument and that doesn't ever really happen. No, no. And that might have been more interesting. Like he, at the beginning of the class, the professor lists off this, um, he has a big list of, of famous thinkers and authors who are all atheists. Yeah. Um, but we don't – I don't know if we ever hear what any of them had to say about atheism. Right. Maybe – there might have been one of them we did. Yeah, I think so. But now I don't remember who it was. Uh, was it uh, Aldous Huxley? No, I don't remember. Nah. But um, But yeah, it's just – that was that was the frustrating thing. Like it's just as as tends to happen with Christian films. Like that they'll have hints of intriguing things in there that they just don't carry far enough. Um, and it just the only way it can ever be satisfying is if you already believe it. You don't need any convincing. So these three minutes here and there is fine. Right and. 
honestly, that's the that's the audience that they're selling this to, yeah. which is weird because ostensibly they're they're trying to get other people like non Christians to to realize something or to learn something. Yeah, but they're not really pitching it at all to non Christian audiences. Like there's there's little to nothing to appeal to a non Christian audience in this movie. Yeah, uh, I, I can't think of why I you can't would go to see it. Thing. And here, are you a Kevin? Sorbo you're a huge fan? Kevin Sorbo fan. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Um, and uh, we we will actually get to um, you know the the treatment of I don't know. It's not not necessarily information or opinion, but you know the the film has information it wants to get across, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the proof of God's existence and that sort of thing. Um, and we will get to how it gets it across and how better to do that. We'll get to that in a moment. But um, there is one thing, um, I guess this this goes with, with, my, with my view that there are so many things that are left kind of unfinished or just half-baked. Um, a number of, like, a lot of these stories uh could be their own movies like proper where they're the primary story and one of them involves uh these two uh pastors one of whom is uh I don't know where I don't remember where he's from but he's from somewhere out of the country and that is where he serves he's basically a missionary I think he's in in Africa I think okay and he's you know he's uh dealing with starving children and all that. And he's friends with this, you know, this kind of goofy American pastor. And the two of them are going to go down to, I believe Disney world. Is it, was that about right? I think it was Disney world. Yeah. Yeah. So that's their plan. And one thing that is said early on, the American pastor talks about how he's not doing anything here. There's compared to what the other guy is doing. He's in, you know, he's in Africa. He's he's elsewhere. He's doing the Lord's work in a, in extreme circumstances. Whereas the American pastor is just here on a college campus, you know, feeling like he's not making a big difference. And then throughout the film, uh, one of the things that links these various stories together is that s- different people will come and see him because uh, this uh, weird little contrivance where they want to go down to Disneyland, but uh, their car keeps not starting. Yes. Now, Josh is getting a, a death look. Josh, what do you got? That is a plot device that does not work at all. It's I don't use the term lightly, but that's stupid. That's a stupid moment in that movie. Which one? It happens several times. When the car, when they get a rental car and it comes and it won't start as soon as they get into it, then they get a rental car, which is they suggest maybe the same car again the next day, yeah. but the guy says it's a different car, but then it won't start exactly the same way. All this time, they never get a mechanic to find out what's wrong with his car. Right. It's 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 stupid. They couldn't think of another way to get these guys trapped there. Yeah. And I think went the just... It's well, as if they went with the first thing that popped into their head and like, yeah, let's just do that. And I think obviously they're trying to imply that, oh, God is keeping the car from starting because he wants to keep them there. Maybe so. But even if that's the case, there's a, I'm sure there are many much better ways to do that. Yes. And, and also no, th- mainly because no one would ever do that. No one would be like, well, we tried to start the car once and it didn't start. I guess we're staying here. Yeah. The- I guess we're – it's like d- 
Disney World is not so, it's like you have a reservation I'm sure yeah. and that is costing you money and they wait until nighttime for a rental car to come right like are there do you know no mechanic are there no mechanics in this town yeah. do you know no one who has any knowledge of cars it's 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 completely it's complete nonsense yeah there are so many things that need to happen i'm even okay with the idea of God making that car not start. If you, I'm not thrilled with it, yeah. but so many things need to happen. It's like, oh, I'm yeah. sorry, the car can only be delivered at night. Oh, but now it's now we're closed and we can't deliver you another. It's just over and over. Although there is one line that I like. The guy who's delivering the car, uh, the pastor says, like, do I have to sign something? And he goes, yes, you are. You are uh, sign. No, he says, he says, yes, we are lending you a car. I like that line because it's just like, <laughs> yes, of course you have to sign something moron. Um, and it's delivered. Well, I like, I liked that actor. Um, but anyway, so they are stuck in this college town at a time when they're supposed to be elsewhere. And at this time, the various characters that are struggling with things come and talk to the pastor and he kind of helps them through things a little bit. And what is being communicated is that like, this is what it is that trenches come in all shapes and sizes. Cause one of the things he's like, Oh, well my friend is, he's in Africa or wherever. And he's, he's in the trenches. Meanwhile, here I am. And, and the argument is like, yeah, trenches can be anywhere. They can be, your friend is going through some, some rough stuff and he needs a friendly ear. That can be the trenches. Mm-hmm. That is a theme that I like a lot. And I think it certainly speaks very specifically to Christian audiences because I think a lot of us, feel like, especially if we live in the U S and we are fairly privileged, we feel like, Oh, well, what good are we doing? It's like, well, you never really know what opportunities are being, you know, presented to you. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's an interesting, I think that's a very relevant and interesting, uh, theme and one that I think could actually, maybe not in this way, but could be an entire film. You know, uh, you could have a, yeah. A pastor who feels like he's not – in fact, I believe there, uh, there was a Hulu series called Rev with uh, Tom Hollander that was actually reviewed for more than one lesson a while back. And it's this guy who just runs this small church in England and he's not a perfect guy and he's just trying to make – you know, feeling like, what good am I doing? You know, but feeling like, well th- – and it's kind of a comedy but it's yeah. like, well, this parishioner needs a little bit of advice right here. Not much, just a little bit, and I'm providing it, so I guess that's it, you mm-hmm. know? And that would actually, by the way, fit in – I mean, think of how much more that would – that theme would come across. Let's say the film as it stands now, the pastors are still in it, the the theme of being in the trenches and, like, doing what you can when it is presented to you. Let's say that's still there. How much more resonant would that theme be if they had stuck with what we were talking about where the only thing to come out of this kid taking a stand is one person sitting up and taking notice and maybe even becoming a Christian? Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're not going to get everything, but you, we got to fight for whatever, you know, whatever we can. Um, and there, there may not be huge victories, but everything is a victory. You know, like anytime you take a stand and anytime, even if you get somebody who just like, huh, I never thought of that before. That's a victory, you know? And so I don't know. It's just bring all these things together and then like not paying off some things and then way paying off other things. It's just, 
It winds up being just this hodgepodge mess that explores a lot of different themes, but none of them remarkably well. Yeah. Um, and then I guess, I, I guess I already commented on like, uh, it's use of cameo, uh, cameos. I didn't like it. Didn't oh, yeah. work for me. I the thought Dark it was dumb. People. Yeah. The, the newsboys, it almost seems like it's an ad for the newest newsboys album because they keep talking about it throughout the, the film. Like he's talking to his girlfriend, like, remember when we first met and we went to a newsboys concert on our first day? Yeah. And then it's like, I got us tickets to go to the newsboys concert. They're talking about it the whole time. And then the news, newsboys show up yeah. and then they do that thing, which was big in like the late nineties to have it somehow end on a, with a big rock concert. And that's a, and everybody's having fun at a rock concert. Again, I, I bring up late nineties cause that's a, that was like a trend that has come and gone. That's not something mm-hmm. that people do in movies anymore. Um, also I, I feel like there's something I don't like about the juxtaposition of, <laughs> I, I think this is unintentional, but you have, again, we're going into the deep spoilers again. So get ready for that. Give us yeah, a couple uh, minutes. Yeah. Two minutes. Um, but you have then the newsboys celebrating and singing and everybody who's a Christian at the concert, having a great time singing God's not dead, but guess who is dead? The, the, the vocal atheist of the movie. He's yeah. dead. So it's like, I did have that he's, thought. He's dying while everybody else is partying. No one ever knows that he died. Like he dies. He's converted by these pastors who's just, who just happened to be going by at that point. That's yeah. why God stopped their car from starting three times, I guess. But, uh, that, you know, that happens, and then he his girlfriend doesn't find out that he's dead. Yeah. The the kid that he just the argued students, with, I feel students like don't find out that he's dead. Like that's just gone. That it's like yeah. he died, but he got converted, so we don't have to think about him anymore. Yeah, don't worry about it. And let's all have a yeah. big party. Yeah, the end of any narrative thread in a lot of Christian films is: Did this person become a Christian? Good. The end. Right. <laughs> Quite literally, in this case. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's and you know what. I didn't like the juxtaposition. It's like, oh, co- okay, concert, car accident, concert, death scene, concert. Part of me is like, how about you hold off on the concert celebration until – ideally, I would not want this character – in the film, I feel like it's dumb to have the character die and have him convert. But if you have to, mm-hmm. if somebody has a gun to the heads of your family and you have to have that in your film – sorry, I'm being a little – I'm still overstating, but like – if you feel like you have to do that, maybe save the celebration until after when it is a celebration. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. Yeah. Is that, yes, he died, but look at what happened and it wasn't, you know, and it's this idea of like he was he was rebelling against God his entire life. But in the last moment, he realized, wait a second, I think I might be wrong and I accept Christ. Death, celebration. There is redemption even for a man like that. Now, I still think that's super cheesy and I don't like it in a film. But if that's how you're going to do it, that's how you structure it so that it is satisfying. As mm-hmm. it is, it looks callous. It does. It looks yeah. very callous. Yeah. So, um, and then of course, just everything that. I've never seen an episode of Duck Dynasty. Uh, from what I hear, I actually might enjoy parts of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. But it just seemed so... First off, it was so unnecessary to have Willie and Cora, uh, Corey Robertson in there they, as yeah. themselves. They it, were there simply to draw in crowds. Yeah. it's. I mean, it 
it seems so calculated to me. It's yeah. it, like there's some, then, there's cynicism to that that I didn't like. Then video of him pops up during the Newsboys concert uh talking about how he's heard about the story of of the, yeah. the student the main character which doesn't make any sense oh. it's it's all uh, those type of things it that's that's where you can see the strings and you can see them saying hey we were able to get this guy we're able to get the guy from the duck dynasty show it's a big show let's shoehorn him in here there here yeah. somewhere and that's what it feels like yeah and meanwhile in real life I recognize they're all Christians, but is there a big overlap between Duck Dynasty fans and Newsboys fans? I feel like this <laughs> these maybe. don't go together, but I guess I don't know. I haven't listened to Newsboys in a long time. Maybe yeah. in fact I didn't listen to them when they were relevant to my I life, mean, which was when I was thirteen. I don't listen to them and I don't watch Duck Dynasty, so I, I suppose it's possible there's the person who's the polar opposite of Ex- me and likes both of those things. Exactly. Of course if that person were the polar opposite of me, there would be an atheist who is a fan of both of those things, which would be very strange. That would be very strange indeed. <laughs> I want to meet this person. I hope they are listening. If I ever meet this person, I think I'll have to kill them. Because clearly they'll be trying to kill me. Oh, no, no question about yeah. it. Um or you could guys, you guys could be best friends, and finally you would each be complete because you will have covered everything. By which I mean, are you or are you not a Duck Dynasty yeah, fan? I'm, Those I'm, are the things that are covered. You know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play it safe and kill him. Okay, that's a good call. <laughs> you were in a movie like that. That's true. You were in a movie called Duel. Yeah, and I killed him. You killed him. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers for Duel 3D. Boy, oh boy. Someday we got to talk about some of your uh, acting projects. I've never even seen that movie. <laughs> it was on YouTube. It might still be. The whole thing? That's right. I think I watched some of it on YouTube, but it was broken up into segments, and I was like, I'm not going to sit and watch the whole thing on my computer. Not- and also, it was on the computer in such a way that you could watch it if you had those red and blue 3D glasses, which I don't have. And also, so who watches a movie with the red and blue 3D gl- Okay. I don't know. Sorry, I don't mean to make fun of you, your uh, may, project. He may have had both versions on there where you could do it with the red and blue ones or with the other ones, but I don't have either of them. And so, yeah. like, if you've ever taken your glasses off during a 3D movie in the theaters, you can tell it's a little bit weird and yeah. doesn't look that doesn't look right and is not easy to watch. So imagine watching a movie that I'll admit isn't that good, um, isn't very good at all, uh, looking like that on your computer in segments. It, it, even though I'm in it, that's that's a hard sell. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> pretty rough. Um, uh, to go back briefly, I'm glad that you brought up uh, the Robertsons being on the big screen at the concert because I briefly forgot about that. And at the end, oh, okay, they do this thing where uh, Willie Robertson says to the people at the concert. All right, uh, we heard about this kid who just uh, debated his professor about the, whether or not God is dead. We want to applaud this kid, and uh, you know, incidentally, um, you know, go to all the contacts in your phone and text them, "God's not dead." And you see everybody in the movie doing it and stuff like that. And clearly, it's meant that's meant for us. We're meant to do that. Because they say it again at the end, don't they? Kind of like... Yes, I believe so. Yeah. And uh, and it's just one of those things. It's like I watch that and I... I recognize that what I'm about to say is like uh, an expression of like the establishment. But movies don't do that. 
at least not narrative films. You want to do a documentary? Now we're talking. You can have somebody talk directly to the camera and call call you to action. Mm-hmm. You can do that. No movie has ever ended <laughs> or should ever end like this. It was so like th- this is what I'm talking about. They're counting on an audience that is so forgiving of that of doing this thing and being excited about this thing that that they've never seen in any other movie. But this is a film that says, Hey, God's not dead. We need to celebrate that. So here's what we're going to talk directly to you and have you do this thing. And by the way, I will, I will say now, admittedly, maybe it's a conversation starter. If I went into my contacts and texted, God's not dead to everybody. There might be two conversations started. Everyone else would be like, okay, sure, whatever. That's it. Like the idea that that is, and I understand it's the title of the film, and you're not going to text somebody like uh, an (laughs) in-depth gospel, which one could then say maybe you shouldn't be texting this stuff. People would probably text back and be like, you mean the movie? Yeah. it's And the conversation that that was started would be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, maybe that's the maybe that's just the cynical way of getting the word out about the film. <laughs> maybe that's what they're trying to do. But it's just like, like I don't know why, but someone I I met one time and has my phone number texting me the name of this movie. I guess I have to go see it. But I can't think of a better microcosm for how the film approaches sharing the gospel in general hmm. than just text God's not dead to people and you'll make a big difference. Mm-hmm. You know, whether or it's like just do that or Here's three minutes of apologetics that you can share with someone, and that'll be enough. Or just whatever, just over. Here's here's the Robertsons talking to this atheist blogger, saying the most the most bland, general, widely already widely known parts of the gospel, and you know, just do that. It's like that's not. This is not. It is not a relevant. There's a big. You know. There's a big. It's kind of a buzzword in the Christian community, the word relevant. There's a magazine called Relevant. Um, And that's the thing. This film is not relevant to any – to I would say any Christian who's genuinely looking to do the things that the film purports to be. Yeah. Would you say that's a fair assessment? I think so, yeah. And and I I think Christians are going to see it and I think what they enjoy is – the ones who go in to see it and are enjoying it are enjoying something that's kind of just easy and, and agrees with them. Like I talked yeah. about earlier at the, in, at the beginning of the episode, if you like football but you hate movies, hey, maybe you're going to love Blindside or Rudy or something like that. Sure. Because um, uh, it's just um, – it, it's a, it's something that you don't really care about much, a movie, that is talking about something you do care about, football. Yeah. Th- I think this is the same thing. Like if, if you're – you can be somebody who has a very real, very vibrant faith – but you don't really like movies very much and this might be fine because now you're going out to the movies and, and maybe you generally don't like them. But this one is talking about the stuff that you like and is just telling you it's, – it's reaffirming the things that you like and the things that you already know. So – And that's what some people want out of the movies and you know, if that's what you like, great. I, I, I don't find that uh, – interesting or engaging or fun or rewarding in any way. And you know what? Even the movies that do tell me what I already believe, I want them to earn it. 
Yeah. Like, I want the characters to have gone on a journey and actually arrive there. If you're going to tell me something that you already know, you've got to say it that I already know and already agree with. You've got to say it in a way that is different, or you've got to point out something about it that's different. You have to earn it, like you said. Yeah. It's why I don't think every film should be work, but if a film has a message, then either I, I feel like you don't necessarily need to disguise it, but you need to. You need to bring us. You need to get us there, not just have us there, and then we go, don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's just it's not dynamic. It's not satisfying. Yeah. Now, let's talk about a movie that, in my opinion, is it's it's a lot of what we're talking about. You have a main character who has a strong opinion. He is up against it. Mm-hmm. Forces are actively working against him to shut him up. Even his own wife is saying. You need to stop this. I was thinking about that, how that that's a very direct yeah. uh, direct comparison between the two. And we are talking about Oliver Stone's JFK, released in 1991, winner of two Oscars for Best Cinematography and Best Editing, but nominated for several, including picture, director, adapted screenplay, supporting actor for Tommy Lee Jones, sound, and original score. Uh, original a, score by John Williams, who, by the way, does some of his best work for Oliver Stone, and nobody ever seems to know. Hmm. Um. So JFK is the story of uh, Jim Garrison, played by Kevin Costner, who's the district attorney of New Orleans, who stumbled onto the idea that he wasn't the first one, but he was kind of the first one with any kind of authority to stumble on the idea that there was a very large conspiracy surrounding the uh, assassination of John F. Kennedy. And part of it took place, you know, part of the uh, planning took place in New Orleans. So he thought, okay. Some of this is my jurisdiction, so I'm going to start investigating. And as he does, uh, you know, he he comes upon people that he believes are conspirators and he brings a case against them and that sort of thing. Uh, it's a very long movie and it is a film chock full of information. Yeah. Now, there are plenty of books. There are books that say this is accurate. There are books that say, no, it isn't. Look at all this stuff. Oddly enough, certainly I care who who killed JFK, That especially if it was the government. That seems like a big <laughs> deal. But as far as the film itself goes, I don't care. And I feel like the fact that I don't care – sorry. I care about what the film has to say and how – and certainly how it says it. And it starts – and it certainly sways me uh, while I am watching it. But more than anything, I am watching characters. I am watching the effect that this information is having on them. And incidentally, taking my cues from their emotional responses to the information. You know, the way a movie works. Even a movie that is just so full of information and people just straight up relaying information. Yeah. As JFK, they still realize, well, we got to write this in a way that is not, not necessarily pleasant to the ear, but doesn't smack of okay they're just lecturing the audience we need to write in such a way we need to shoot it in a way that is dynamic and fascinating and really captures the the bigness of what we are dealing with Mm -hmm. um it needs to be you know it's wonderfully edited it's it's a film that's like three hours long but it moves Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like three hours and i am glued to the edge of my seat with every new scene I can't wait to see what happens. I can't wait to see what new bit of information they uncover. And you have one character after another 
going on for paragraphs saying, here's what we've learned. And culminating in the trial and the closing argument by Jim Garrison, this thing is like 10 to 15 minutes long. Kevin Costner memorized it all as one monologue. (laughs) It is, it contains uh, some opinion, passion, information, and it is brilliantly written. And it is, and it, by the way, that ends with, that kind of a call to action as well, doesn't it? Yeah. It ends with Kevin Costner. He's talking to the jury and he's always got his eyes on the jury, but at the very moment he says, it's up to you. And lo and behold, his eyes look right at the camera when he says it very briefly. And then he moves on. It's up to you. You, the audience, it is a call to action. Not unlike at the end, it's up to you. Text JFK to everyone, you know, Kennedy's not dead. Text that. Um, and so like, so even that, that could be viewed as a cheesy thing. In almost any other movie, I probably would consider it cheesy. Mm. But at the end of this movie, this three-hour movie that is just so desperate to find the truth and willing to and, and willing to just have characters go on about what they've uncovered and then culminating in this long this long bit of exposition – it earns it's it earns the right to call me to action to hold me somewhat accountable mm-hmm. um and to me one of the big things is like obviously i don't think anybody wanted god's not dead to be 3 hours long but just this is a film that regularly takes its time to lay out what it's actually talking about. You're not going to get any three minutes of apologetics here. No. You'll get 10-minute montages of just one piece of information after another just hammering you with it. Yeah. Because we are dealing with big things. And you know what? As big as the Kennedy assassination is, the existence, the existence of, God of God is, is a bigger. little bigger. Yeah. And, and it should feel bigger. Right. God's Not Dead is a small film. Yeah. In every possible way. JFK is a big film about big things. It wants you to feel something. It wants you to feel angry, among other things. Yeah. Um, But not the kind of anger where you just sit there. It's a call to action just as much, if not more so, than God's Not Dead. And it is – I think it is – I think it's a crowning achievement of Oliver Stone. He's a filmmaker that I think in in the later years kind of went downhill. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, he had – a nice run. He had, what is it? Salvador. He had platoon. He had wall street. Platoon. He had JFK Nixon. And then it kind of went off the rails a little bit with U-turn. And, and I even, I even, I even like any given Sunday a little bit. Um, but just, but to me, JFK is, that is Oliver Stone as a film. It's everything. He's firing on all cylinders. It is a film that as I was researching, quotes and stuff for it all i wanted to do is watch it again <laughs> um now you said you've only seen the film once and yes. you thought it was only okay i i liked it i i didn't love it um but i do remember all the in the information about it and being intrigued by that and being interested in that yeah um i remember feeling like and again i've seen it once and it's been a while i remember feeling like there was a point when 
the character seems like he has decided what it, what is what really happened mm-hmm. and is no longer accepting any other theories. And from that point, the movie felt to me like it was just hammering. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. And and it hadn't sold me on that yet. Um, I feel like I remember being that being an issue that I had with it. But again, it's been a while and I, and I don't totally remember. And I do remember that throughout, even after that point, all the information about it is interesting. And even if you, even if it is making too strong a case for one theory, uh, it's interesting to hear all of the information that there is to back that up. Yeah. And it, it certainly makes you think about it and certainly kind of grips you. Um, yeah, it's an exciting movie. And you know, there's a, there's a scene, um, because oddly enough, like, I don't necessarily, I don't think I necessarily agree with Jim Garrison or, or JFK about what happened because obviously I think nobody knows what happened. Um, but, uh, but it actually started to sort of convince me or at least convince me. It's like, okay, well this character is definitely convinced and I'm okay with that. If I were in his position and I was getting this information, the way he's getting it, I'd probably be there too. Mm-hmm. That's where I arrived. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that I remember, there's this really interesting idea where, um, one of his, one of the people working for him is like, okay, this is getting big now. This yeah. is getting bigger than what we wanted to do here. And he's getting maybe a little scared and also like he's getting a little defensive. Like you're talking about my country that I love and have, and fought for and that sort of thing. Um, and he brings up – I think it was the mob. You know, he and he lists all these things about what what it is about the assassination including, you know, Jack Ruby and uh, all the things that point to this is the mob. Mob is pretty big. Hmm. You never know. But then Jim Garrison responds with, okay, it's like, I, you know what? I think they're involved, but at a lower level. And he's like, this is too big for them. And he, and he lists like, and then he lists like, when has the mob ever used anything aside from this type of gun for an assassination? Always close up because it guarantees it. Like just that sort of thing. And just he respond like you have one character making a fairly in-depth case and then you get somebody rebutting it in an in-depth way. Mm-hmm. And it's just that's what a movie like this, like God's not dead and JFK, it's what they, what it should be. I would love it. Wouldn't you love it? If an apologist made the argument for Jesus, the way JFK makes the argument for a conspiracy. Yeah. Like there's just, there's passion and heart on the screen. And I think that's what makes it, uh, the, the film could have been it dry as a bone. But it isn't. It's visceral and it's exciting, and I just I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, I think it's wonderful, and I think it's an, it's. But it's also a narrative because Jim Garrison is a character who has an arc. He has relationships with people. You know, he has this thing with his wife where she's frustrated with him and all that. And it's still interesting for him as well. He's not merely a cipher or just like a vessel for information. He's processing it too. And it just – that's the way you do it. Yeah. So I wanted to – very very briefly, I wanted to just run through a few things here about argument. Um, one is that uh, – a couple quotes from JFK. One is uh, Jim Garrison talking to his son. 
He says, telling the truth can be a scary thing sometimes. If you let yourself be too scared, then you let the bad guys take over the country, don't you? And then everybody gets scared. He is talking to his, his young son at that point, so speaking very in fairly simplistic ideas. But yeah, it's it's this idea of standing up for the truth, and that is scary. And it's infinitely scarier for a number of reasons in JFK than it is in God's Not Dead. Yeah. And then uh, there's a character simply named X in uh, JFK, and he says, fundamentally, people are suckers for the truth, and the truth is on your side, Bubba. Now... The truth is on our side as Christians. I so I very regularly act as though it is not. I act as though I am ashamed of the things that I believe because I I've bought into the narrative that they that they cannot be defended one way or another. Um I allow myself to be intimidated because of the sheer amount of confidence on the other side. Um I certainly this podcast is a f- is partly doing what I feel like I can do to put the gospel out there and to stand for it. And you've read some of the comments in the past. Uh, it's gotten kind of rough at times and it's a little scary. And when you're somebody like myself who more than anything, I want to be liked and approved of. And anytime you take a stand that might be unpopular, certainly with a certain group of people like movie fans, um, you probably will not be well liked. And so um so it is scary, but this is what we're supposed to do. That is the thing that you can get out of God's not dead if you want, is that you do have to take we are called to take a stand. But we are also called to be smart about it in every possible way. Be smart about it like actually research these things so when the time comes, you can make a good argument. But then also recognizing your audience. You know, in God's Not Dead, it does wisely make the point that, yeah, he may convince the professor, but probably not. It's not for the professor. It's for the, it's for the, the, the audience, the other students. Yeah. If it was just between him and the, him, the professor, he probably would be right to walk away. Yeah. Um, would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. Um, there are a number of verses that I have, uh, printed out here. So we'll just jump to 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 26. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them, pardon me, will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I feel like that you can't find a better blueprint for the tone you should strike than mm-hmm. that. Which is literally, don't, don't, don't be looking to get into a fight or a quarrel and don't let yourself be brought into one that's never going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But if you, know, if you are in a position where you're having like a legitimate debate, a legitimate discussion, then go ahead and, uh, and, and go with that, but also recognize that God loves the person you're talking to just as much as he loves you. And you are not – this is not about you being right, you personally being right. This is about God being right and – God wanting this person to have a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. It's not about you being vindicated. That's something I tend to uh, forget. Um, 
Uh, let's see. And so Matthew 7, 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That's a pretty good image of allowing yourself to get into an argument with somebody that is not interested. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so, okay. A couple of things I want to say. Uh, I've quoted this verse several times. It is kind of the, 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 the passage that I turn to, uh, to encourage myself, uh, in this podcast. It's Jeremiah one seventeen through 19. Josh, you want to read that? Sure. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. Against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. They will not overcome you. I am with you and will rescue you. Uh, That is a wonderful promise when faced with opponents or enemies. Um, But what I will say is... There may come a time when you are faced with somebody who's asking you, it it might just be an innocent question, or they might be really coming at you and you, and you, you buckle and you say, and you, you probably won't say like, oh, I don't believe that kind of thing, but you, you kind of, you hem and haw and ultimately you give the impressions like, really, I I don't really believe this kind of thing. Um, uh, I know that I've done that kind of with my tone. It's like, yeah, I mean, I guess so, but you know, whatever, you know, I just want somebody to like me and I don't want to get, I don't want to get yelled at, frankly. <laughs> um, that is a uh, kind of an overriding motivation for my life is not to be yelled at. Uh, and in that moment, you like myself will feel pretty terrible because you're like, Oh, I've not done what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. I'm supposed to take a stand for these things and declare that I, that I believe them. Uh, Luke twenty two thirty one through 34. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, uh, oh, but he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, "I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Uh, you will deny three times that you know me." All right, we we all know about Peter's denial of Jesus, but what I particularly like here is it says, "And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers." He says that before he says that Peter's going to betray him, uh, not betray him. Pardon me, deny him. Hmm. And what I like is this this idea of reconciliation to me i can't i can't think of it aside from straight up betrayal i can't think of anything worse than literally saying uh, i i didn't even know him yeah you know like that sounds pretty rough yeah um but jesus is saying like you know what it's gonna happen and when you eventually turn back to me You'll be fine. Like, he doesn't even say you'll be fine. He doesn't even say, when you turn back to me, you're going to have to do this. He just says, when you turn back to me, go and strengthen your brothers. As if, it's like, you're not going to feel great after this. But when you come back, you can take that 
the frustration you feel with yourself and you can channel it into something strong, into something real. And so, um, so even, you know, like we're called to stand for Christ and we're called to do it in a very specific way that is loving and is, uh, discerning certainly, um, with the guarantee that we will not be overcome. Yeah. But in spite of all that, we might actually buckle and we might, you know, mm-hmm. essentially deny him whether overtly or in our tone or whatever. Uh, and even then we are welcomed back. Yeah. Uh, and we are not condemned in that moment, which is to me astounding. Yeah. Very encouraging. So, uh, okay. In the spirit of God's not dead, which is a thing I never thought I'd say. Um, <laughs> If anybody and I will, I will uh, link. I, I will do a special blog post for this. Um, if you are interested in apologetics, let's say you are a Christian. Let's say you are not, and you are interested in some of the things that uh, are not well conveyed in God's Not Dead. Um, there are a number of books and a couple of podcasts that I can recommend. Mm-hmm. I will list them here, but they will. You will also find them. Uh, in the notes of this episode, but there will also be a separate blog post where you can find these things. All right. First off is the reason for God by Tim Keller. It's very, I find it easy to understand, mm-hmm. but for some, not necessarily. Apparently, yeah. I, I think Tim Keller is easy to read, but some people think he's pretty dry. Yeah. Um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He's British. Get used to it. Uh, I think <laughs> it's great. Um, I had I have an atheist friend who said if ever he was going to become a Christian, it's because he read Mere Christianity and found it incredibly compelling. Uh, there is a book called Tactics by Greg Kokel, who is a sort of a professional apologist, um, and this has less to do with apologetics and more to do with how to argue. Hmm. Um, which is and his basic thing is to ask questions of the other person. Not a, not even leading questions, not aggressive questions, but just to ask them, not to necessarily let them frame the debate, because once that happens, it's very easy to get intimidated. But it's not your job to frame the debate either. It's more to make sure this is a conversation and you're both answering questions. It's a very interesting book. Uh, Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton, another Brit who is as British as C.S. Lewis. <laughs> just about as British. Just yeah. about as British. Uh, the, the Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, recently seen in the hands of Matthew McConaughey. There was Ooh. a picture taken of him reading that, and it was a big deal and, uh, <laughs> on certain uh, message boards. Uh, Jesus Among Other Gods by Ravi Zacharias. Now, I have not read this, but I have seen a number of lectures and debates with Ravi Zacharias, and I like him a lot. Here's a book that I read that my parents got me. It's called How to Stay Christian in College by J. Bud Zizewski. That's a lot of Z's in his name. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, that one actually was very instrumental, very simple, and it basically talks about it's, – it's not unlike the argument one, mm-hmm. uh, the, the tactics book, where it helps you to recognize what is being said to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, in the midst of an argument, like it talks about the idea of a smoke screen, somebody throwing up this thing and saying like, well, what about this? What about this? And it's like that's just a smoke screen. If you if you 
if you really try, you can actually blow that away and yeah. actually get to the topic at hand. Yeah. Um, what's so great about God by Dinesh D'Souza. Now I've seen him do a couple of debates, but you are currently reading the book. I'm currently reading the book. I just started, but it's, it's had some interesting things so far. And I'm the, the type of arguments that he's uh, presenting in the way that he presents them. He, he's a very sort of, uh, logical thinker he approaches in very kind of a sociological okay. way. So if that's the sort of thing that, uh, appeals to you argument wise, that's probably a book that you'd, you get a lot out of. Okay. Uh, and then there are a number of uh, apologetics podcasts. I will recommend two of them. One is called Stand to Reason, which is hosted by Greg Kokel. Every episode is three hours long. Wow. Uh, and a lot of it is him taking calls. Hmm. Uh, often very hostile calls. That's interesting. But he keeps his cool and he makes some interesting points. Hmm. Um, the other is the Cold Case Christianity podcast, which is hosted by a guy whose name I cannot pull at the moment. But uh, shoot, which bothers me because I like that show. Um, but uh, it's basically a guy who is a uh, cold case detective uh, in real life. His oh. job is to look at scant evidence and come to uh, very distinct conclusions. Wow. And uh, so he, the theory is that he has brought that sensibility to apologetics, which I find hmm. very interesting. That's interesting. So there will be links to those uh, in the pardon me, in the uh, show notes for this episode, and then there will be a separate uh, blog post about it. So uh, thank you. This is a long episode, longer even than Noah, and that had a third person. Wow. Um, so thank you, uh, everybody, for listening. Uh, my hope is that if you are a fan of God's Not Dead, uh, my hope is that you don't feel personally insulted. Uh, I'm sure there are times when our tone could have been better. Uh, I hope you don't feel personally insulted. Instead, I really want to encourage you. God's Not Dead could be a better movie. And I think we are all willing to, I think, forgive certain things when it's a thing that we like or a thing that we agree with. But it could be a better movie. It could be a much better movie. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we've convinced you of that and you, like so, like like so many others, you can start demanding that sure there be more christian movies made but that they're better because a bad movie no no non-christian's gonna like it and it's not it's probably not going to challenge christians in the way that it should i think that is where i will end mm-hmm. uh if you want to email me, you can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com or Josh, Josh, at morethanonelesson.com. Or you can, of course, email us both if you would like us to see what you have to say. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at More Lessons. You can follow Josh at the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. Uh, you can also join our Facebook group as well. I think that is it. Next week, we'll be talking about, we'll continue our mini-sode series on the best of pictures. We'll be talking about Martin Scorsese's The Departed. Uh, In the meantime, thank you for listening. Josh, thank you for being here. Hey, you're welcome. And we'll get you next time.